Hello, everyone. My name is Aaron Laxton, and I am the host here at American Pandemic. One of the things we do is um, we talk about the opioid crisis um, and opioid pandemic, um, and we try to tackle it from every angle. You know, I wanted to touch base on some of the news stories. Um, I, I guess this is especially, you know, it stands out in my mind. Over the weekend, I attended a funeral for a young man who passed away due to an overdose. And as I was getting ready for work today, I had the funeral handout and I put it on the refrigerator with three others. And, you know, it really made me think, we talk a lot about the similarities between the HIV movement um, and the opioid crisis, but, you know, it is as similar as, you know, people saying that they went to three or four or five funerals a week um, due to people dying as a result of AIDS-related illness. Um, the father of the young man who passed away said that this young man had lost 24 friends due to opioid overdose. So I, I, I'm baffled. I, I'm, I'm baffled. What will it take? What will it take for us as Americans to get pissed off enough to demand action? Um, what's it going to take? And that's a question I'm going to leave with you. I, you know, I can sit here all day and give you um, the things I think need to happen, but we need to collectively have a conversation. And how are we going to move that, um, move that product, product um, you know, that forward? I, I don't know if you saw on the news today, but there was a high-ranking pharmaceutical executive who was sentenced to five and a half years um, for his role in the opioid crisis. Um, that was a founder of um, Insys Therapeutics. Um, John Kapoor and four other executives were convicted last May and uh, due to a criminal conspiracy to bribe doctors to prescribe a highly addictive fentanyl spray to patients who didn't need it. And so, you know, five and a half years, that sounds harsh. Are you kidding me? Um, five and a half years, and it's ridiculous. There's a conversation that's happening. Um, you can find it on The Hill. And the title of the article is, Are We Making Progress or Stuck in Neutral with the Opioid Crisis? Um, I think it does a really good job of explaining there are several key pieces of legislation. Um, the 21st Century Cares, uh, Cures Act, um, the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act, CARA, and the Support for Patients and Communities Act, Support Act. Um, these laws have authorized funding through appropriations and grants that exceed $10 billion, $10 billion with a B. While significant money has been spent, many have asked whether um, we've gone far enough. You know, we, we've spent money in the proper areas, and have we been effective in bending the addiction curve? Um, defining what success, success looks like is critical, and understanding whether these investments and legislative efforts have been effective. Um, providers in the field have described opioid addiction as a chronic relapsing disease, tempering expectations of high success rates. Um, indeed, publicly and privately reported success um, defined as freedom from abused substance for at least 12 months after completion of programming. 
um, has been in the 10% range. Um, to date, no major improvements have been noted in tra- traditional treatment methods, and no major breakthroughs have been demonstrated. Um, so you can find you can read more about that on the Hill. Um, you know, it's always interesting to read stuff coming out of Ohio. Ohio really has been the front lines of addiction crisis uh, in America for years. Um, and the opioid epidemic has taken a particularly heavy toll uh, on families and communities there. In fact, in 2017, the opioid overdose death rate was three times, three times the national average, with nearly a dozen Ohioans dying um, from the drug every day. And that, that surpassed car crashes um, as the state's number one killer. So, so what have they done? Well, since 2017, they started to turn the tide. Um, and in 18, after a decade in which overdose deaths increased every year, Ohio did something remarkable. It led the country in a 22% decrease 22% decrease in overdose deaths. Um, once again, the Support Act signed into law last year by President Trump um, already has made a difference in the lives of Ohioans by providing funding for states to strengthen their opioid response um, efforts. These resources, along with those provided by the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act, CARA, uh, are helping first responders use new approaches to ensure that people whose overdose are reversed by naloxone get into treatment and eventually recovery. There's a lot of conversations and and programs around the country um, where Narcan is actually left behind because we know that that individual who just overdosed is at the greatest risk of overdose again. Um, We also know that individuals that are around them are at, at great risk um, the year-end spending bill that passed Congress in December secured a record $658 million for CARA grants for this fiscal year. Um, while much of the improvement in the fight against opioid addiction has come from addressing heroin and prescription painkiller abuse, synthetic opioids, and in particular fentanyl, continue to show up in overdose reports nationwide. Um, you can read more about that. I, according to the most recent data from the Federal um, Centers for Disease Control, 72,000 drug-related deaths occurred in 2017, and 40% of those deaths involved fentanyl. Um, that data showed overdose death rates from fentanyl increased at a rate of 88% per year since 2013. You know, again, it's just uh, Congress can make fentanyl permanently illegal. And, you know, there's been an effort to team up legislation um, called the Fight or Federal Initiative to Guaranteed Health by Targeting Fentanyl Act. To do so, Fight Fentanyl has strong bipartisan support, and all 56 U.S. states and territory attorneys general um, have endorsed it. So that's one of the ways that Ohio is looking at tackling, um, tackling that, you know, look, we've had conversations on this podcast talking about until the, the stream of fentanyl, until the supply is tackled, um, it's going to be hard to really impact this, this, uh, drug, drug epidemic that we are 
facing. One of the many conversations that we've had, certainly here in Missouri, but it's happening increasingly around the country, is the impact that the opioid um, pandemic is having on business. Because we contend, and you you may have heard me say this before, but I, I will say it again, the opioid epidemic, drug use, is a workforce development issue, right? So if we're able to get everyone to a point where they are healthy again, what happens? They re-enter the workforce. They are able to hold on a job. They're able to pay their dues into taxes and into Medicare and all of the various programs. Um, and I contend most people want that. Most people want to, to function, um, but they don't want to be sick, right? And most people will agree, hey, I, I don't want to use fentanyl. But if, if it's a choice between getting sick and, uh, and not using or using and not being sick, most people are going to go with the using and not being sick, even if it's risk death. Um, no one, no one woke up this morning and says, "Hey, I'm going to die." Right? That it, that's ridiculous. Um, so there's an increasing body of of uh, thought that says this is really a workforce development issue, and and chambers of commerce and various you know corporate entities um, really need to get into the fight. Opioid prescription rates. Um, and unemployment, this is a, um, an article out of AL.com, opioid prescription rates, unemployment numbers, and the high cost of getting hitched. Um, you know, the rate at which Alabamians are prescribed opioids fell a bit from 2012 to 18, um, but they started out with such an incredibly high rate and are still prescribed more than people in other states in the United States. Um, Alabama's unemployment rate continues to be the lowest ever through the end of 2019. Um, uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that, that they are, you know, one of the highest states for, for prescription. I, I don't know if you saw uh, a year ago or a year and a half ago, the CDC or, or the DEA rather released a list of the um, distributors and the recipients, and West Virginia was was by far one of the highest. Ohio also one of the highest, um, receiving thousands and thousands and thousands of opioid pills per person, per person, and you know just a mind-boggling, um, mind-boggling um, statistic. You know, I continue to see these stories about, um, you know, overdose deaths. We see batches. Uh, you'll see a bad batch here and there pop up. Um, I'm reading about one that is in um, Brantsford, Ontario. It looks like in one day they had four overdose deaths. Ontario City struggles um, as the opioid um, crisis marches on. And it... it it is the most overdose deaths the city has had in one day. It's the equivalent when compared to a city of its size to 120 deaths in Toronto or in one day in Toronto. Um, like other Ontario cities that have seen overdose 
rates rise as the opioid crisis moves from west to east across the country. Brantford is struggling um, with the loss. The mayor had to pause to get control of his emotions when asked about the impact. It's tragic and it's devastating. Um, I, I wonder if people are, you know, are we in fentanyl fatigue? Are we in opioid fatigue where, you know, when we hear a story about it, is it, does it really garner attention? Or is it just one of those things where, well, it hasn't impacted my family yet, so it's not, it's not a big deal. Um, yeah, something to, something to think about. I, you know, we have these conversations each and every day. Um, and I, I do think that how we talk about the crisis is, is very important. Um, so, you know, we know as the United States grapples with this crisis, Americans are urged to learn how to recognize and respond to overdose um, from these and other drugs. Um, a populace better prepared to spot and respond to opioid overdoses could help reduce the nearly 200 U.S. deaths per day linked to alcohol and drugs. Um, you know, last year you had the, the uh, Surgeon General who basically said, look, every American needs to carry Narcan. Um, every day in the United States, 130 people die from opioid overdose, and that's according to the CDC. And the tragic increase in overdose deaths is an alarming and devastating issue that touches many of us. Um, if we can identify an overdose or alcohol poisoning, you're more likely to react quickly, making the difference between life and death for a family member, friend, or um, stranger. So, you know, Dr. Jerome Adams, Surgeon General, I was just talking about, um, you know, what are the signs of overdose? Uh, and they've you can find this in a lot of different places, um, shallow or slow or irregular breathing, extreme sleepiness, unconsciousness, blue or gray skin with dark lips or fingernails, snoring or gurgling, um, confusion, vomiting, seizures, and low, low body temperature. Um, and so if you're, if you're interested in getting Narcan, look in your state. Um, most health departments have some type of programming. You can also go to uh, Naloxone for All um, and have Narcan sent to you. Here's a story out of Granite City, Illinois, out of the Metro East. I'm in St. Louis. This is in the Metro East, Granite City. Renters face eviction over drug overdose 911 calls during the opioid epidemic. Now, let me tell you why this is ignorant. Um, what do you think is going to happen if people know they're going to lose their housing if they call 911? They won't call. It's the same reason why if people know that the police are going to be dispatched to an overdose, they won't call. So, you know, as much as we work for getting legislation and policies endorsed and passed, such as 9-11 Good Samaritan, um, we have to have all of these policies in place. This is just an ignorant policy. So it looks like a 27-year-old man called 911 to send out an ambulance to his home when his girlfriend passed out. He didn't know what was wrong with her, um, but he told the dispatcher that it could be an overdose. About a month later, he received a letter saying the city 
wanted his landlord to evict him. Um, so in Granite City, renters can be kicked out for calling for help for an overdose because the city's crime-free housing ordinance. Even if no one's arrested or charged with a crime, the drug use breaks Granite City rules for renters. He was one of at least 36 tenants to face eviction after an overdose with no criminal charges. No criminal charges filed between 2014 and 2018, Belfield News Democrat investigation found. Granite City is located in a county where you see a record number of overdose deaths year after year, um, which local leaders say is a symptom of the opioid epidemic. There were 109 drug-related deaths in Madison County in 2018, topping the previous high of 91 deaths in 2014. And that's according to the coroner's office. Statistics for 2019 are still pending. You know, opiates like heroin and fentanyl were the reason for most of the overdose deaths in Granite City um, and their crime-free housing violations. And when charges were filed against people accused of breaking the city's rules from 2014 to 18, the most common criminal convictions were related to drugs. Stealing or trespassing was the most common type of conviction, um, but they said that that could be traced back to addiction. You know, look, we know that substance use is stigmatized, so it's just one more way that if we say addiction is a mental health issue, if we say addiction is a health issue, um, then why are we penalizing people who are trying to get help? I would, I would argue that calling 911, basic access to emergency services should never be leveraged against housing or, or the ability to use those things. You know, we have the right to stay alive. People have the right to stay alive. And, you know, I... It just blows my mind. Blows my mind. I can't even... It makes me very angry to, to talk about that. So Arizona, switching over to Arizona, that's a, that's the Midwest. Arizona drug bust shows fentanyl crisis growing. You know, it really depends on where you are in the country. Um, we see a higher influx around port cities, um, Minnesota, Louisiana, um, different points of entry. One of the largest fentanyl busts in, in Arizona history, nearly 170,000 counterfeit pills were made with illicit fentanyl and had been seized in Phoenix. Um, DEA task force and Phoenix police seized the pills during a traffic stop on January 22nd, and they arrested two suspects. The blue pills were stamped with an M and a 30, um, distinctive markings for 30 milligram fake oxy, tablets known on the street as Mexican uh, Mexican Oxy or M30s total street value was about three hundred or three million rather. You know, uh, again, w when people talk about fentanyl, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid, fifty to a hundred times more potent than morphine. Counterfeit pills laced with illicit fentanyl have appeared around the country and are linked to thousands of overdose deaths. In 2019, law enforcement agencies seized over 1.4 million fentanyl pills in Arizona alone. Who would be foolish or desperate enough to take a street drug that might kill them? Hmm. Now I'm reading this right out of the newspaper. This is painnewsnetwork.org. 
Um, do overdose victims even know the fake pills they're buying contain fentanyl? I mean, I really have to think about this question, right? We have tests that can test for fentanyl. We want people to know, are you taking fentanyl? Because not everybody wants fentanyl. Some people do. So the answer in many cases is yes. According to a new study of drug users in Vancouver, B.C., a lot of great work coming out of the, uh, uh, Vancouver, the first major North American city to see an influx in illicit fentanyl. Study drew on data collected from over 300 people recruited at drug treatment sites in 2018. Participants completed a brief survey on their drug use and provided a urine sample to researchers testing for fentanyl and other substances. About 60% of those tests that have fentanyl detected in their urine. Of those, nearly two-thirds, the so 64% knew that they had taken fentanyl. The, uh, the researcher investigating this said, the research shows the majority of people who use fentanyl know they're doing it. Jane Buxton, an epidemiologist and professor at the University of BC, who is corresponding author of the study published in the International Journal of Drug Policy. Making people use drugs who use drugs aware of the presence of fentanyl in the drug supply isn't enough. We need harm reduction services, substance use treatment, overdose prevention resources, and pharmaceutical interventions to the toxic drug supply to reduce the devastating impact of fentanyl and its analogs on our communities. You know, the analogs, that's an interesting thing. There are over, you know, I think 25, 27 analogs. Um, the fentanyl crisis in British Columbia is growing worse by the year. A similar study in 2015 found only 29% of participants tested positive for fentanyl, with only 27% aware that they'd used it. When fentanyl first appeared in the illicit drug supply, many users took fentanyl unknowingly because dealers secretly added it to heroin, counterfeit pills, and other street drugs. It's, it's no secret today. And according to preliminary data from the British Columbian coroner, fentanyl and its analogs were found in 85% of overdose deaths in 2019. Research lays a groundwork that'll help learn more about fentanyl use and is increasing, said lead author Mohamed Karazian a PhD student at uh, UBC's School of Population and Public Health. Findings will contribute to more effective messaging campaigns and harm reduction strategies to help reduce preventable deaths and support the health of people who use substances in their families and their communities. So you can go out there and find that if you, if you see fit. So that's just a couple of the news articles you can find across the the uh, stratosphere here in the United States. There's one one final piece I'm going to bring your attention to um, today. Peoria County overdose 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 deaths dropped sharply, and and they were announced by the county health there a big increase in 2017. Um, it dropped. There was a big increase in 2017 thanks to fentanyl-laced heroin on the streets. Since there's been some improvement, um, Kristen McHugh talked to Peoria County Coroner Jamie Harwood 
Harwood said that the preliminary data, drug-related deaths dropped significantly in 2019 thanks to harm reduction work by the Jolt Foundation. Um, Peoria County drug overdose deaths peaked at, a six, at 67 in 2017 and declined to, two, to 59 in 2018. Hardwood said final numbers are not yet for 19. Uh, he had honest discussion about addiction and its stigma is key to reducing overall drug-related deaths. Um, if you're interested in that, you can go to Peoria Public Radio and listen to that full interview. You know, it's good to hear the work that's being done around the country. I, I say it all the time. There's no strategy that is 100% correct or 100% wrong. We, we're going to have to use all of the strategies that are at our disposal. And continue to have these conversations that engage everyone, most importantly, the individuals who are using the drugs. Any conversation that fails to bring in individuals that are using drugs is going to fail from the get-go. Because until you have buy-in from the individuals who are the most impacted, you know, harm reduction is about empowering individuals who've been disenfranchised due to systemic systems that has failed them through marginalization, uh, marginal, being marginalized, through racial discrimination, through, through all the various systems that has left them by the wayside. And so if you are running a program and it doesn't engage individuals who are using, you need to. Harm reduction works because it engages individuals who are using Somewhere along the way, we tend to think that people who are using can't, they don't have a voice. They can't be listened to. And that's wrong. No one knows themselves better than the people who are using. They're using different coping skills. They're using different methods. We want to get them to a point where they're not using. But that is going to take all hands on deck, starting with them. All right, folks, that's the... News Roundup for today. Until next week, I'm Aaron Laxton. Thanks.